Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here, and um, I'm just hoping that uh, where you are at home, that uh, God is with you, God blessing you, his grace and peace is uh, your experience this morning as we take a look into God's word. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in chapter 12 this morning. We're going to start around verse 20. And um, this is a passage where Jesus is speaking or predicting his own death, um, talking about the suffering that he is going to be experiencing uh, in a few days. So um, let's take a look at that passage, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of get into it this morning. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd was, that was there heard it and said it had thundered, and others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up, from the earth will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Let's pray. Father, we're asking that you would speak to our hearts this morning and peel back a couple of layers so that we may see deeply into the kind of suffering, the meaning behind the suffering of Jesus. Lord, help us to understand what it means to follow him in this life, what it means to hate our lives um, in, in the way that Jesus means. Lord, come this morning. Speak to us deeply and draw us close to you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, some of you know, um, I now work at uh, one of our local hospitals as a, as a clinical chaplain. I visit lots of people. And I was visiting with a, a woman who was in the hospital um, last week. And these days are really tough. The hospitals have limited, because of the COVID-19 uh, epidemic, the, the virus, 
uh, have limited uh, visitation so that family members cannot come into hospitals and visit members of their family who might be hospitalized for whatever reason. And so it's very difficult for family members who can't see members who are in the hospital and for the hospitalized family members who, who um, can't have family members come in to visit. So people's support network has is, is been disrupted and it's very difficult for them. And this woman had asked for um, a chaplain to come in and see her. So when I came in, we had a little bit of a conversation and uh, <clears throat> she was curious and asked, you know, um, you know, kind of what my background was and, you know, what kind of faith I had and all that kind of st stuff. And, you know, I told her that I'd been a pastor for, for many years. And she asked, well, what kind of church was that anyway? And I told her it was a Calvary Chapel. And, uh, and that didn't appear to help her at all. She kind of looked puzzled and was kind of curious. She said, I, I never heard of that before. And she says, well, what do you all believe? And I started to tell her, but she had some very specific things in her mind. Um, so she said, do you believe you have to be saved? And uh, while I was trying to decide whether to give her the long answer to that question or the short answer to that question, she said, well, let me put it this way. Do you believe that Jesus died for our sins? And I said, well, of course. Um, and, and she was still looking uh, a little sorry for me, as if she knew that I was saying something that I really didn't understand. And so she decided to kind of just let the whole thing go. And she says, well, well, so do I. And then she sort of dismissed me with, uh, it was nice talking to you. Well, that was the end of it for her. But that wasn't the end of it for me. Because by asking me about the connection between my life and Jesus's death, she opened up for me once again all of those uncomfortable questions um, that I've that I've I've wondered about all my Christian life. And I've been a Christian for for a long time. But there are things that are mysterious, and I continue to, to dig in deeper and try to discover new things. So, yeah, I, I believe that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. But there are questions that come up, and so one of those is, well, how exactly does that work? I mean, were all of the sins of the world kind of piled up at the foot of the cross? Sins past, sins to come. And when he breathed, when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, they just simply vanished? Or was it more like a, a ledger in the hands of, of an angry God with every person's name on it, followed by a long list of debts to be paid? And every time God sort of wrote down another one of those debts, debts, God would say something like, well, someone's going to have hell to pay for this. And then one day Jesus said, um, Father, I, I will. I'll pay the whole thing. 
And that was that. I mean, is that kind of how it worked? God closed the book and threw it in the trash, and that was the end of the story? Only how does something like that, something that happened 2,000 years ago, how does that affect what might happen tomorrow? Does Jesus go on dying for our sins? And what kind of God would require that anyway, that his son sort of continue to hang on the cross and, and pay this terrible debt um, forever? So since Christ's death and resurrection are so central to our faith that we profess, you know, I think it's really important that each of us struggle with what those events really mean to us, both as individuals and then as a community of faith. It's not enough to repeat what we have been told. If we really believe that there is a connection between our lives and Christ's death, then the least that we can do is spend some quiet hours asking God to teach us about that, to help us dig deeper and gain a deeper understanding of what this means, of what Jesus' suffering means to us and to our lives. So here we are in the 12th chapter of John. And it contains most of what Jesus had to say about his own death in John's gospel. And according to John, he said, uh, that, he, uh, he said that Jesus had said these things uh, in Jerusalem uh, during the Passover festival, just a week before uh, uh, the end of his life, when some Greeks had come to town for the festival and they asked to see Jesus. And that for some reason that their request was a sign that kind of alerted Jesus that his hour had come. And these were not local people who had heard about Jesus from their neighbors. They were Gentiles from across the sea who wanted to meet this Hebrew holy man. Apparently, word had come to them as far away as, you know, where they lived. And when the authorities heard about this, they would step up their efforts to arrest Jesus. The more famous he became, the more dangerous he was to them. So something had to be done about him, and soon. Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he said this not just to his disciples, his immediate group, but to the whole crowd who was standing around listening. And he said, verily, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's a statement about the redemptive power of suffering, both his suffering and ours. 
And it is no easy, this message is no easier to hear today than it ever was. What he is telling us is that if we do everything in our power to protect our lives, to protect our lives the way they really are, the way they are, if we successfully prevent change, prevent conflict, prevent pain, then at the end we will find that we have had really no life at all. But if we hate our lives in this world, which is as far as I am concerned, the only, it can only mean that if we hate all the ways that we cheapen our lives by chasing comfort and safety and superiority in the world, if we, if we hate that enough to stop it and start chasing God instead, then there will be no end to the abundance of our lives. So those were the two choices that he laid out before his listeners. Jesus is kind of saying there are really two ways to live your life, two choices before you. And these choices were available to him as well as that net of opposition, that dragnet, began to draw in around Jesus that last week of his life. So these two, cho- these two choices are these two ways. The first way we might call the way of self-protection um, is a way of being closed to suffering, denying suffering in our lives. If we, if we chose that way, if we choose that way, and if he chose to, to reject this idea of, of this upcoming suffering, if he chose that way, he could, do a, he could handle that a couple of ways. He could stop walking around in the open, and he could go underground instead. He could sleep in a different place every night. He could simply tone down his message. That would be another way to deal with it. That would work, too. He could find more pleasant ways to phrase things, sort of make his teaching a little more palatable to those who opposed him. He could stop eating with outcasts and associating with sinners. He could start showing more respect for organized religion and the religious establishment. If he loved his life and he wanted to save it, that is. If, on the other hand, he loved something more than his life, then there was a second way that was open to him. And we might call it the way of self-offering. That way contained not only the possibility, but the probability of suffering. Not as the main goal, but as a byproduct of the main goal. If he kept walking around in the open where anyone could get to him, if he kept speaking and living his confrontational message, then eventually he would suffer for it. There were no two ways about it. Jesus was crossing lines of power. And you do not cross lines of power 
without getting electrocuted. Jesus knew what he was doing, and he knew the outcome, and still he chose that way. His only choice was whether to cross those lines of power or not. But it's really important for us to understand here that he did have a choice, and that is essential to his story. There are so many kinds of suffering in this world that have nothing to do with the gospel. There's nothing redemptive about famine or genocide or this COVID pandemic or incest. Nothing redemptive about these kinds of suffering. There's no choice for those who suffer from such things. And no one should have to endure those things. The only kind of suffering that I'm really talking about this morning is the kind that Jesus chose. And again, he chose this suffering not as the goal, but only as the byproduct of his goal, which was to be fully who God had made him to be, no matter what it cost him. You see, a grain of wheat cannot grow unless it dies. And this is how Jesus put it. If you encase it, this little kernel, this little grain of wheat, if you encase it in plastic and you hang it around your neck, it will never be good for anything but just simply decoration, a bauble. For the seed to do what it is meant to do, for it to accomplish what it was designed to accomplish, it has to be given up. It has to fall into the earth. It has to sit down there in the dark until the hour comes when it will swell and crack and hatch new life and a green shoot will break through the surface, reaching up toward the sun until it breaks through becoming a golden stalk of wheat which bears much fruit. If you dig around in its roots, looking for the seed, you will not find that seed anymore. It's dead and it's gone. It gave its life so that there could be more wheat in the world. Now, this is a very different understanding of Jesus' death than the one, that, than the one most of us have been taught, which is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But according to John, Jesus died to fill the world with wheat, with so many sons and daughters of God that no one would ever want for bread ever again. Only in order to do that, the seed had to be planted it had to die, or it would never grow. If Jesus had saved his life, gone on a speaking tour, written some books, there's no telling how long his movement might have, how it might have lasted. Maybe a maybe hundred years, or at least as long as the, as the books lasted, until they fell apart, I suppose. But because he was willing to lose his life, because his message mattered so much to him that he was willing to show people what it meant instead of just telling them about it. 
His seed bore much fruit, more than it ever did while he was alive. Because Jesus was willing to die, God would raise him from the dead. Because Jesus was willing to die, people could discover that death was not the worst thing that could happen to them. Because Jesus was willing to die, a new community could form in his name, one that was redefined, that its life was, was defined on the basis of his death. And one of the main points of John's understanding of the meaning of Jesus' suffering and death, one of the main things that we learn from, from John's gospel about Jesus' death and suffering is we, 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 we gain a new understanding, a new view of suffering. It isn't meaningless. There are some kinds of suffering that are redemptive. It's no longer something that we need to avoid at all costs. Nor did it mean that God is mad at you. It might, in fact, mean that God loved you very much. Because when someone on a path toward God deliberately chooses the self-offering way that goes with that path, then suffering becomes one of God's most powerful tools for transformation. It is how God breaks open hard hearts so that they may be made new. It's how God cracks open closed lives so that he can breathe his life-giving breath into them. When Jesus, pow- when Jesus died, this redemptive power was made manifest by absorbing into himself the worst that the world could throw at him, the worst that, that the world could do to a child of God. And by refusing to do anything back, by refusing to retaliate, by refusing to strike back, he made sure that all of that opposition and hatred, all that goes with it, was put to death with him. By suffering every kind of hurt and every kind of shame, without ever once letting it deflect him or redirect him from his purpose, he broke their hold on humankind. All of the manifestations of sin, all of its expressions in our world were finally broken. In him, sin met its match. Jesus showed us what is possible. And these are just some of the fruits of Christ's death. Things that could never happen if he had not been willing to fall to the ground. So here we sit. Touchstone, 
Christian fellowship. This little field of wheat who owes its life to Jesus. If he had not, if he had not died, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. But because he did, because he chose the way of self-offering, because he chose the way of redemptive suffering, we are. We're here. We're gathered together. He has spoken to us about the way of life and the way of death, letting us know that there are only really two choices in this world. And none of us can abstain. There's no neutral ground here. We either choose the way of Jesus or we don't. We either choose the way of protection, self-protection, or we choose the way of self-offering. I pray that when our hour comes, each of us has a grain of wheat with which to cast our votes, our lives. This grain is our lives. And all of creation is just holding its breath to see what we will do with this choice. Pray that God will be with you this week. May his Holy Spirit comfort you. I pray that his grace, his peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Also praying that you will choose, because we all must choose, the way of Jesus. You have a choice. You can choose to protect your life, or you can choose to offer it. What will you choose? God bless you.